Everyone struggles with insecurities, but for some people, their insecurities keep them from becoming who Jesus has called them to become. Join us for part two of our series, Rehab, as we let Jesus speak to those insecurities. We're continuing on today in week two of our series called Rehab. And if you missed the first week, last week we talked about anxiety, and so if you missed it, uh, we've got, we got you covered. It's out uh, on iTunes or our Fam Church app. You can download our Fam Church app, or if you've got a podcasting app that you like, you can find it, you can subscribe, and you can listen to last week's message. Um, but go ahead, check it out if you missed it last week, because I believe that God has a word to speak to you uh, from last week. And so let's head into this morning's message. And the thing with this morning's topic is there's no funny stories that you can really tell in regard regards to uh, people's insecurities, is there? Because none of you would want me coming up here and telling a story about some place where your insecurities came out and then everybody in the room started to laugh at you, right? That would not help our insecurities, would it? And I don't find any of my insecurities funny, and so I'm not going to get up there and uh, share those with you. Um, And so we're just going to dig right into the message. And so let's start off this morning by asking the question and define this word, define the whole concept of insecurity so that we're all at the same starting place. And what insecurities are is they're a lack of self-confidence, self-doubt, uncertainty, nervousness, worry, or unease about ourselves. And so have you ever met a guy who when you go to the beach, lake, or pool will not take his shirt off? Because some people have six packs, but he's got a keg underneath there and he doesn't want anyone to see that bad boy. That's an insecurity. Or how about the woman who cannot go to the mailbox unless her makeup is on, her hair is done, her nails are manicured, her feet are pedicured, and then she's set to go to the mailbox. Why? Because you never know who you're going to run into in that 75-foot walk from your house to the mailbox. And Tanya is all over that one. Tanya always looks good, though. That's right. Well, that's insecurity as well. And then one, one that's kind of funny, I don't know if any of you have ever watched the TV show Arrested Development, but, but there's a guy on there named Tobias, and he's afraid of being naked. And so he wears, even in the shower, he wears shorts, okay? And, uh, and, so, and so he was insecure about his body being naked. And so that's an insecurity as well. We all have insecurities in our life, but insecurity is not so much about a definition as it is the way that it makes us feel. The feeling that we are never blank enough. Slide, please. I am never blank enough. We can write whatever word we want to in this blank, right? I am never good enough. I am never patient enough. I am never consistent enough, smart enough, strong enough, organized enough, or I'm not even awesome enough, you know? We all have the things that we put in that blank to complete the sentence. And those are just the ones that we're talking about. 
We've got other insecurities in our life that we're not going to mention, that we're not going to say anything about, that are deeper down, that cover more about who we are, and they control the decisions that we make and the things that we do. I mean, this is real in my life. I know that some of the things that I do, that some of the decisions that I make come from the insecurities that I have had or still have in me. And the one that comes to mind and is relevant to right now is my whole thing about being in ministry. Because what happened with me was when I graduated from college, Dana and I went and we worked with a pastor for a couple of years. And this pastor made it a point to tell me all the time why I should not be in ministry. He found every reason why I did not belong in any sort of pastoral ministry. He told me that if I went into ministry, it was going to be an abject failure because I was not, did not have what it took to be in ministry. And then I, I rewound that and I went back to my days of college and I remember kids, other kids going that I went to school with saying those kind of words to me as well because I was not cool enough to be a pastor because all the pastors of the big churches, they're cool, they're hip. I mean, so I judged fine arts this weekend and through my, uh, and what that is, is the teenagers compete in all of these categories and from Florida, and they get sent on to nationals if they do a good job. And, uh, and I was in the short sermon room. I was critiquing uh, high schoolers in the short sermon room. And uh, I had several of the big name pastors from the Assemblies of God come through my room. These kids, their shirts were more expensive than the whole outfit I was wearing, okay? They were the coolest people that walked into that room. And so when, you look, when, then when I look at myself in the mirror, when I looked at myself even back in college, I did not have that coolness factor. And so they would say, man, you got to have that it factor. You're not going to make it in ministry. You had to be the life of the party. You had to have the charisma. And so even in college, I was told, I wouldn't make it. And so all of those words became a part of who I was. That created an insecurity in me. And so for years, that insecurity has been something that has influenced my decisions as far as ministry goes. And I believe that part of the reason I stayed in youth ministry for 16 years was the fact that I got in youth ministry and I had a lot of success at it. And so it made me think this is where I needed to stay. This was the lane that I was supposed to be in because everybody had told me that I was not going to be successful at it. And now here I am successful at it. And so I better stay in the spot where I'm at because I knew I could make it there. But we got to go deeper. Let's go deep into why do we have insecurities in our life in the first place? Where do they come from? Well, the root of our insecurity is found in the book of Genesis. And we're going to head there first this morning. This is not our main text. Uh, Genesis is the first book in the Bible, so it's pretty easy to find. Um, if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen behind me. We're going to be in chapter 3. Uh, you're welcome to turn there. Uh, just a little setup before we read our text. When God created the earth, he put Adam and Eve in this place called the Garden of Eden. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Uh, he dropped them there with no clothes and told them to go and take over the garden. It was kind of like that TV show, Naked and Afraid. <laughs> Anybody ever watch Naked and Afraid in here? 
That show is crazy. They take a man and a woman who have never met each other, strip all of the clothes off of them, and then put them in like the Amazon rainforest and say, okay, we're not going to give you clothes, we're not going to give you food, we're not going to give you shelter. Now survive for 21 days. This is the premise of the program. And when they first meet each other, they are actually naked when they meet each other. And so you can just feel the insecurity oozing out from that moment as they step out from behind the bushes and they're sitting there naked with nothing to cover them up. Now, it wasn't quite like that in the Garden of Eden because Adam and Eve, yes, they were dropped there naked, but they were not in a place where they were afraid or they were insecure. But then sin sin entered the world and suddenly they became naked and afraid, naked and insecure. This is what it says in Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? See, sin enters into the world, and immediately Adam and Eve felt the need for clothing. In a second, in a blink of an eye, Adam and Eve felt embarrassed and insecure because they did not have clothes on. It was a radical change, and it came because insecurity was a part of what sin brought into the world, and that sin became a part of who we are, and because of that, insecurity became a part of who we are as well. But this was not part of God's design from the beginning. However, now that it was a part uh, of this world, it began to do its damage. And if we were to sit there and start to flip through, starting in Genesis all the way to the end of the Bible and read event after event and story after story, we would see the consequences that insecurity reaped in people's lives. And this morning what we are going to do is we're going to look at one of those people that insecurity reared their head in the situation that they were in. And so where we are going to look for our main text this morning is Exodus, the next book up from Genesis, and we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4. And we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 15. I know it's a lot to read, um, but we're going to be run, read 1 through 15 of chapter 3, and then we're going to read um, 10 through 13 in chapter 4. And, uh, and so this is what it says. It says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a burning bush. Moses uh, saw that the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up, so Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush did not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. 
Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of a land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of Israel has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. All right, let's jump over to chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. This is what it says. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. So here is Moses, this great leader. He was so great that Disney made a movie after him. I mean, that's when you know you've reached a level of greatness when you've got a movie made by Disney after who you are. And yet when God originally had come to Moses to speak to him and say, hey dude, I've got a plan for you, we're going someplace, I'm doing something big with your life, Moses actually turned to God and said, hey God, look, it all sounds awesome, all sounds legit, but please send someone else. And the reason that Moses asked God to do that, the reason that Moses asked God to send someone else was because Moses himself struggled with insecurities and they factored in and they were part of his decision-making process here in determining whether or not he should follow God's plan. And as I already said, there's insecurities in my life that have done a lot of the driving and motivating me, and I believe it's still working in me today. It's a little different than Moses, and that insecurities keep him from things, whereas sometimes mine push me towards things. Like the thing that I talked about at the beginning with, with the way people have spoken in regards to my call to ministry, it is in, in, in some sense has driven me. And you got to understand, I know that I've, I've mentioned this before from the stage. Some people say they, they, they're surprised when I mention it to them, but I've also been, I was adopted as a child. And, and so when you're adopted as a child, yeah, it all sounds cool. It all sounds legit. Hey, somebody chose you out of everybody else. But guess what? It also means somebody else said they didn't want you. And you know what that speaks to somebody when the first person says they didn't want you? It means that you have to prove to yourself and everybody else that your reason for existence, your reason for being here is legit. That you are not somebody who is rejected and despised and so I have a nagging thought constantly in the back of my head speaking and saying to me, prove that you have value and prove that you have worth. 
and many days it drives me and drives who I am because I'm trying to prove that I have value and I have worth. And that's what Moses was doing here. Why did he have insecurities about leading the people of Israel? It tells us in the text that we read that he had some sort of issue with his speech. He was slow of speech and tongue. But that's not the only thing in his life that could have raised up insecurities and caused him to reject God's calling. And another event that I think would have done this is found two chap- uh, a chapter back in Exodus chapter 2. And I'm going to tell you what happened, but I would challenge you to go read it later to make sure the things that I'm telling you are in fact what happened. But Moses... Uh, one day, he was, he was hanging out. We don't know what he was doing. He may have been riding a skateboard up to McDonald's to get himself a Big Mac and a fry. He may have been uh, walking over to the dollar store to get himself a Coke or something. But he was out hanging out. You know, he was doing his thing. And he turned and he looked and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave. Now, what we need to know about Moses is that Moses, even though he was adopted by the Egyptians... He was not an Egyptian himself. He was a Hebrew. And so when he saw this going on, he went over and he grabbed this Egyptian. Well, he was so angry that he beat the man to death. He buried the body and he went on his way. Well, the next day, he's coming out. He's, uh, he's doing his hanging out thing again. And he's walking along and he sees two Hebrews standing there. And they're fighting with each other. And so Moses steps in between them and he says, brothers, why are you fighting? And these two guys look at Moses and they say to him, who made you judge and ruler over us? Are you going to kill us the way that you killed the Egyptian yesterday? So Moses now has God come to him and God say, you are going to deliver my people. What's the thought in his head? My bet the thought in his head is this. I tried that 40 years ago and guess what happened? The people looked at me and they rejected me and they said, who are you? Do you think you are a deliverer? Do you think you are our leader? And I'm sure these thoughts were going through his head as his history, as his past drove him to his insecurity to reject the calling that God has for him. And part of what fuels our insecurities is our history and the things that we have been through in life. Moses was rejected by his people when he tried to be a deliverer of the people in the past. And now here is God saying, let's deliver these people, Moses. The thought going through Moses' mind is, I've been there and done that. I'm not going to do that again. These people don't like me. They won't go anywhere with me. But they're especially not going to follow me out of Egypt. The people had rejected him. He knew that. And it fed his insecurities. We let the things that have happened to us in our past define who we can be in the future. But when we do that, we many times end up missing out on God's calling for our lives. I have watched so many believers settle for less in their lives because of what has happened in their past. I have known too many people who have settled for a man or for a woman in their lives who was no good for them, but they believe that was all they deserve because of the things that they've been through and the things that have happened in their past. I've watched other believers not accept and listen to the call of God on their lives because the thought going through their mind is, God, I was such a terrible person before and now I can't be used because of who 
I was. They allow the spoken words, the bullying done, the abuse received, the perception of who they are, keep them from the life that God is calling them to live. And when we do that, we are saying the exact same words that Moses said to God, please send someone else. And you know what? The enemy knows that we will fall victim to this, and so he will play it up in our minds. He will say to you, oh yeah, that's right. Oh yeah, don't forget about your past. Don't forget about the things that you've done. Because God thinks those things are accurate too. You don't feel you're qualified? Guess what? God doesn't think you're qualified either because of the terrible person you were. Don't let him do that because your history is not your destiny. Your past is not your present and it's not your future. The only way it can be is if we allow it to define us. And until we make that choice and say to ourselves, my history is not my destiny, my past is not my future, we're not going to move forward with what God wants to do in our life. All right, heading back to our text, that's not the insecurity that Moses used as an excuse when he tells God, He just can't do what God is calling him to do. Moses goes to the issue that he has with his speech. He tells God he cannot do it because he can't talk right. Moses basically says, God, I am going before the most powerful person in the world, and then you want me to lead 500,000 people through the desert for that job? You need a great speaker. You need someone who can communicate to the masses with their words, someone who can cast a compelling vision for the future, and I'm not that guy because I can't talk. There are many others who are way better than me at communicating, and so please use one of them. See, Moses got into a trap called the comparison trap. He looked at other people's gifting and disqualified himself from what God was calling him to do because of how he perceived himself and rating himself against other people's skills, abilities, calling, and equipping. But see, that's not how our calling works in life. God doesn't call us based upon how well we look against somebody else. Too many times we think that calling is about one thing that we don't have and we focus on that one thing. We look at that one thing and we say, oh, I don't have that. I mean, there may have been some great speakers and communicators among some of the other Hebrews, but guess what? None of them had grown up in Pharaoh's court. Moses had. None of them had the education that Moses had. None of them had the the place of influence that Moses had because he knew the people in the court because he was there. He had things that no other Hebrew had and that's why God had called him and was going to use him but he was focused on one thing and one thing only that he could not communicate. And you and I are the same way. We focus on some area that we are not as good at as someone else regardless of the complete picture then we use that as the foundation, as the basis for saying no to what God speaks to us. We use those same words, God, 
please send someone else. We are doubtful. It's not that we doubt God. We doubt that God can do it through us. I'm not a fit. I'm not capable of whatever you are calling me to do. Well, let's talk about that. Let's move back to the verse that we looked at last week. We're at Psalm 139, and uh, I want to focus on verse 14 and 15, and this is what it says. It says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. God's works are wonderful. In order to look at that in the proper context, a lot of people look at that and they go, yes, God's works are wonderful. Look at the mountains and the beaches and all this beautiful thing. You know, you know what the point of that is? In the previous sentence, he was talking about himself. And when he says here, your works are wonderful, he is looking at himself and the people around him, and he is saying, look at these people, they are wonderful, God. You made them wonderfully. And see, when we are telling God that we are not capable, we are not able, we are the wrong person, we are telling God that we are in fact not fearfully and wonderfully made. That verse does more than speak to insecurities, though, about what God is calling us to. It speaks to the insecurities that we have in all areas of our life. We are insecure about how we look. They, they've done studies with, with social media now, man. They just study the snot out of social media. And uh, what they found with social media is that People primarily use it to feed their insecurities. They found that the more selfies someone posts, the more insecure they are, and the reason they are posting those pictures is in hopes that somebody's going to come along and like that picture to affirm to them that they are, in fact, beautifully and wonderfully made. But it goes even beyond the selfies. In a lot of things that people post, that's what they have found. They have found that it's there to feed their insecurities and to affirm who they are. They want some sort of affirmation. And so I'm going to post this picture. I'm going to post this status. I'm going to say this because I want people to go out there and like it so I know that I am okay. The likes of people are never going to make us feel okay. See, the only thing that's going to make us feel okay is a God who loves us, who came and died for us, and who looks at us and says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. There is nothing that anyone else can say. There's nothing that anyone else can do. There's nothing that anyone else on this planet can speak into your life. It's God and God alone. And this one, Amanda, if you could come back up, please. This right here, I want you guys to hear this. Feeding our insecurities, whatever form it takes, is a sin. 
Why do I say that? Here's why. When Moses was talking to God, one of the questions that Moses asked God was, what is your name? And uh, we covered this uh, on Easter Sunday, if you were here, uh, the name I am. That's the answer that God gave. I am. I am. And that name was meant to convey something. That name was meant to convey that the one who created the world and put it into motion, he was the one who was there and he was the one who was always going to be there. He was going to be, he was the one who led their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that same God was going to be there with Moses with the power to deliver Israel from the most powerful force on earth at the time, the nation of Egypt. And so you're saying to yourself, how is that relevant to what we're talking about today? What's the first commandment? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. See, here's how we interpret that verse. I shouldn't use God's name as a curse word. That's how we interpret, I shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Well, how about this? When we become a follower of Jesus, we become a son or daughter of the king of the universe. And when that happens, the Bible says we are called by a new name. What is the new name we are called by? The name of God. Revelation 3.12 and a couple of other places says that God writes his name on us when we become his children. What is God's name again? I am. So when I use the phrase, I am not blank enough, we are actually taking the name of the Lord in vain because God has looked at us and he has said because I am you are more than enough you are more than awesome enough you are more than strong enough you are more than patient enough. You are more than rich enough because I am has written his name on your forehead. He has declared you his. And there's nothing that we can speak over our life that's going to change that fact. So avoid those words. Never use those words, I am not enough. Because it, in God, in Christ, we are all more than enough. And so this morning, for some of us to get free from our insecurities, we need to change our speaking. We need to change our thinking. We need to change our perspective on ourselves and look at it from the perspective of the I am and realize that in him I am everything that I don't think I am. 
We need to declare that to ourselves. We need to speak that over our lives. We need to ask God, God, you say I am, and so I'm going to believe that I am. And so this morning, in our closing, I think there's some of you that need to have God change that perspective in your heart and your mind and change you from I am never blank enough to I am enough because Christ has written his name on my head. He has declared it and he has spoken it. And so we're going to open the front of the room. And if you need to come up here this morning to come up and just spend some time with God and ask him to change that name, to change that thing over your life, I challenge you to come up here this morning. I will come down and pray with people. But let's just take a few minutes and do some business with God and and, and get our minds wrapped around the proper perspective of who we are so that those insecurities, and we're never going to be completely free from insecurity in our life, but we can get rid of so much of the stuff that's weighing us down, so many of the insecurities that we carry on our shoulders like a bag and allow it to influence everything that we do. We can allow that. We can allow Jesus to take that bag and lift most of that burden off of our shoulder. And so let's do that this morning. The front is open. Thank you for joining us on the FAM Church podcast. FAM Church is here to connect people to Christ. If you live in or are visiting the Lakeland, Florida area, we would love for you to join us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You can also check us out online at myfamchurch.com. Thank you again and have an amazing day.